When I was a teenager, I was invited to go rock climbing with a guy from church named Jason. And I'm still not sure why I said yes, given my fear of heights. But maybe I had been imagining the few times I had gone indoor rock climbing. But this was in Maryland, where there are a lot of mountains outside. And that's what we did, was we went to a mountain. So after we hiked to the spot, I couldn't help but notice that we were not at the base of a wall to climb, but instead we were on top of a cliff. That's when Jason suggested that instead of rock climbing, maybe we would just spend some time rappelling. For those of you who may not be familiar with this, like I was unfamiliar with it at the time, rappelling is when you take perfectly good rope and you anchor it to the cliff or the high area that you are on. You attach it to your harness. Then you willingly step off of perfectly solid ground and you put your feet on the side of that cliff or mountain and then lower yourself down. What a terrible plan this sounded like to me. Not wanting to chicken out, I did it anyways. In fact, we spent a large portion of our day rappelling. Each time we would hike back up to the same spot and we would do it all over again. And, and as the day went on, my, my fears were soon relieved. And part of it was because I began to accept the truth that the rope was securely fastened. But a big part of it was because I had an experienced climber with me who could guide me and help me and reassure me when I was getting nervous about it. Maybe you aren't afraid of heights, but we all have different fears and anxieties that we face in this life. When it comes to our spiritual lives as Christians, there are many things that can discourage us, or that can cause us to fear, or that can present difficulty in our lives. Thankfully, we have many sources of encouragement in moments such as these. Encouragement through those like our fellow believers. But in those moments, we should never forget the most important thing, that despite our troubles, there is one who knows, knows the path that we ought to take. There is one who will guide our feet to sure footing, and one who will lead us where we ought to be, and that is Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, we saw in John chapter 10 that Jesus is the good shepherd, and that those of us who are a part of his flock need to follow him. Well, as we return to John chapter 10, verse 22 this morning, with Good Shepherd part 2, we will see that as sheep of his flock, no matter what trial or persecution may come our way, we can rest secure in him as Christians. John chapter 10, verse 22. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there with us. It says this in verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Let's stop right here just for a little bit of background. Verse 22 picks up the story two months after what we previously saw in John chapter 10 when Jesus declared that he is the good shepherd. Now Jesus is in Jerusalem during the festival of dedication. Now that feast celebrates an event that happened during the time between the Old and the New Testament. So during that interim period, an evil Syrian king captured Jerusalem and began performing 
wicked and despicable heathen rituals in the temple. Now the Jews revolted under the leadership of the Maccabees. They retook the city, they cleansed the temple, and they established this yearly festival as a remembrance of that, a celebration of when the temple was cleansed. We know this festival today as Hanukkah. That's what was going on. And during the feast, the Jews come to Jesus and ask him to publicly give them a yes or no on whether or not he is the Messiah. Maybe, maybe some of the people were asking because they had in mind that successful Maccabean revolt of years past. And they were hoping that Jesus was preparing to lead another one. Most likely, however, many of those who were present were not sincerely looking for an answer from Jesus. Instead, they just wanted to try and trap him, some sort of blasphemy or wrongdoing. So let's take a look at how Jesus responded. Verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You see, Jesus wasn't going to entertain this question because he knew it came from a place of disbelief. How did he know that? Because he had already made it clear who he is. That's why he said, I already did tell you. I mean, he'd already told the people that he's the Son of God. He'd already told them that he's the bread of life, he's the light of the world sent from the Father, that He is the great I Am. The truth about who Jesus is was not vaguely revealed to people. That is why at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, His disciple Andrew called Him the Messiah. His disciple Nathaniel said that Jesus is the Son of God and the King of Israel. A whole Samaritan town came to believe that He is the Savior of the world. Many people put their faith in Him. Why? Because Jesus had made it very clear. Not just through what He said, but through the things that he did. Jesus had performed countless miracles up to this point in his ministry. He brought sight to the blind, sound to the deaf, speech to the mute. He brought freedom to the demon-possessed, strength to the lame, healing to the sick. Yet these people here were asking him for another statement. It's pure unbelief. So this was pure unbelief, which shows that they were not sheep of his flock. They didn't believe in him. As we read that metaphor again about sheep, it may have sounded very familiar for some of us to what we read earlier in John chapter 10 two weeks ago. They may have forgotten Jesus' metaphor from two months earlier. So Jesus tells them again that he is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep and his sheep follow him. Remember, that was our emphasis that we looked at two weeks ago. But they didn't believe, therefore they weren't his sheep. They continually rejected him. They didn't listen to his voice. So instead of focusing on giving them truths that they would simply continue to reject, Jesus gave a truth for us believers. For those of us who are his sheep, listen again to what Jesus said. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This truth may mean little to unbelievers, but it should mean everything to us. Those of us who are the sheep of his flock have received eternal life. Not because of our goodness, because we deserve it, not because we earned it. He gives it. He gives eternal life. That's why we talk about salvation being about grace. Because eternal life is a free and undeserved gift. There's the grace. Jesus gives it to all who come to him in faith. And to those who receive eternal life, we will never perish. And I really want us all to understand that, believers, that Jesus Christ The good shepherd, the Savior, and the Son of God says that if you have come to him in faith and become a part of his flock, you will never perish. This is what we often refer to as eternal security. We're once saved, always saved. That if you are a sheep of his flock, you are eternally his. Now, I understand that there are some who will say that our salvation can be lost, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that he gives his sheep eternal life. When we put our faith in Him, we received eternal life. But believer, if we were able to lose that eternal life, for even the briefest of moments, then it was never eternal to begin with. He gives it to us and we will never perish. If this were not true, if we could lose our salvation, then our Savior isn't true to His Word. And He would be, as one pastor put it, an incompetent shepherd. Oh, but we know that's not the case. No, the one who saved us will not lose us to the fires of hell. We are kept safe in his hands. Now, I I know that there are also others who will say, but what about all of our wandering? Maybe we can jump out of his hands. Maybe we can jump out of God's grace. We can jump out of our own salvation because of all of our sin. And it is true that like simple-minded sheep, we are, as Christians, prone to wander from our shepherd. But it doesn't mean that we cease to be a part of his flock when we wander out into sin and into the world. Although when we do that, we certainly become an easy target for our enemy, the devil, who scripture tells us prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But even when we lack good sense, he doesn't lose his firm grip on us. That's because we are secure in him. And the evidence that we are the Lord's will be seen in our desire to return to him, even in our wandering. Because as his sheep, we will long for his voice. That's why Jesus said, they follow me. But this is about the good shepherd. The sheep of his flock should follow his voice. Never forget that, believer. Also, never forget the truth that once you've entered his loving arms, he will never let go of you. So we can rest secure in him, Christians. He is the good shepherd. Not only that, he is the divine son of God. Jesus made that clear when he said, I and the Father are one. If the people there wanted truth, there is the truth for them. Now let's see how they reacted. Verse 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. 
But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. The Jews understood that when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, that he was making himself equal with God. Remember, they didn't believe Jesus is the Son of God, so they called him a blasphemer, and they prepared to stone him in accordance with the law in the Scriptures. Well, that's when Jesus reminded them of the scriptures. So what's Jesus mean? What was he talking about when he said he called them gods? Well, Jesus was referring to Psalm 82. Right? Those listening to him would have been familiar with this passage of scripture. Psalm 82. And in that psalm, God was speaking to the judges over Israel at the time, and he referred to them as gods. Now, in that psalm, the Lord was not saying that those judges were little divine beings, but rather that they had been given a small portion of the authority and dominion of God to merit out justice on his behalf. Jesus is saying, so you're okay with the word God's being used and applied to mere men, representatives of God. How much more should it be applied by the one who is truly the Son of God, the one who does carry out the purposes of the Father and is, in fact, sent by Him. In other words, the word gods was applied to mere human judges in Psalm 82. Not only that, but if you go read that psalm, you'll find that they were disobedient judges. They were failing to fulfill the work God gave them to do. When Jesus says He is the Son of God, all the Jews had to do was look at the works of God that Jesus was actually carrying out. The very things he was doing, all his works, all his healing, all his sound teaching, all his forgiveness pointed to his fulfillment of messianic prophecies, revealed that he is, in fact, the Son of God. They didn't care. They didn't care about any of this. With stones in their hands, they tried to grab hold of Jesus to put him to death. And of course, they, they failed because it wasn't his time yet. But this group rejected him. We find that they would have nothing to do with sound teaching, nothing to do with truth, nothing to do with the Lord's righteousness. Doesn't that sound like our world today? 
Doesn't that sound like our world? It seems that more and more our world, our country, rejects sound teaching, truth, and the Lord's righteousness. They cover their ears at the sound of God's truth, and they, like vicious wolves, rush to attack the message and its messengers. Don't misunderstand, there will be some who believe in Jesus, like those near the Jordan. But then there are those who continually reject the Lord. Believers, if even these witnesses of Christ's miracles were willing to reject and attack him, then how much more will unbelievers attack God's people today? I can't say it enough that if the Lord does not return soon for his church, I believe that we will soon begin to experience the persecution that believers all over the world have long experienced. Already the signs are all around us as our country increasingly rejects the truth that Jesus becomes more hostile towards his people. Too long has the church in America become comfortable and forgotten that we are sheep living in the midst of wolves. And I don't say this to scare us, but rather to prepare us. So that if that day should come, we would not lose heart. Because what did we see at the beginning this morning? We saw that we can rest secure in Jesus Christ. Believers, we might lose all things and all relationships in this life. We'll never lose Jesus. We are his sheep. The world can take our dignity, twist our words, toss us in prison. They can take our very life. They can never take our eternal life. Jesus said his sheep will never perish. They can separate us from all comfort. They can separate us from all help. But they can never separate us from our good shepherd. Jesus said, no one will snatch them out of my hand. So believers, when the wolves come and they try and scatter the flock, we can remember our security in Christ and we can rest in him. Listen to the sweet words of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35, it says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are a sheep of his flock. As such, he has given you eternal life and you will never perish. No one and nothing will snatch you out of his hand. The world cannot tear you apart from him, neither can the devil, nor can any of the devil's children. Not only should we be following our Savior, believers, but as we do, we can rest secure in him. Because even if we lose everything and everyone else, we will never lose our good shepherd. And in this eternal security that we enjoy, we should be all the more eager to live for him. To share the gospel, to share the words of the Son of God. Believers, whom should we fear? Isn't God for us? Are we not in the very palm of his hand? 
So let's get down to the work of the kingdom, knowing that no matter what trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, remembering that despite these things, the shepherd, he won't lose his good grip on us. So we need to respond to that by working all the more diligently for him. When the, when the Golden Gate Bridge was constructed in the 1930s, there was a general rule of thumb for a high construction projects like that. And the rule of thumb was that one worker would die for every $1 million spent on the project. So the rule of thumb. Well, the Golden Gate Bridge cost around $35 million. And unfortunately, while, while some individuals did die on that project, it never reached as high as 35. That was largely due to the fact that during the project, there was the addition of a large safety net that the chief engineer bought. So the net was wider than the bridge. It was suspended underneath of it. It actually saved the lives of 19 workers who fell into it. They say that the net brought those workers so much confidence that first they had to tell the workers to stop intentionally jumping into it. But second, it brought them so much confidence that they finished the project far faster than was originally projected because they had this great sense of security about it. And believers, we can rest in the joy and in the security of our salvation, but that rest is, is not something that is meant for us to go and live a lifestyle of sin or spiritual laziness, but rather in that rest, we should eagerly get down to the Father's business. It doesn't mean that we have this eternal security that we'll never face scary or difficult situations in our faith, but that we can be confident who holds us and who guides us, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, believers, the truth for us this morning is this. We can live confidently for Jesus, knowing that we will never be separated from Jesus. We can live confidently for Jesus, knowing that we will never be separated from Jesus. Rest secure in him, believer. He will never leave you. There are many who do not believe in him, and from that number, there are some who will attack us for our faith. Threaten us, mock us, or mock our Savior. We'll say that we serve a weak Savior who was put to death. But remember that the grave couldn't hold our Savior. He willingly laid his life down, and he powerfully took it up again. So we can take courage, believers. Let's hold fast to the promises of Christ when the wolves come because we will never be separated from him. And so we can move through even persecution with great confidence. So church, let's not shy away from the work of the gospel. This week, let's be determined to find someone we can share that incredible news with, that Jesus is the Son of God and that he wants to give them eternal life. And let's not fear the response of men because we know that the shepherd holds us in his hand. But if you are joining us and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you have never made that decision, you have not had that moment where you gave your life to him, where you prayed for the forgiveness of your sins and you put your faith in him, if you have never done that, please know that you are not in his hands. The Bible says right now you are separated from God in your sin. And that if you remain that way, you'll be separated forever from him when this life ends in a place called hell. But know that you do not have to remain that way. 
Know that his arms are open to you, no matter where you've been or what you've done. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to take the penalty and punishment for your sins and mine. He died for all of our sins. And after he was buried three days later, he powerfully rose from the dead. And Jesus stands in heaven right now waiting to offer you the forgiveness of your sins, a relationship with him, and eternal life, which will never fade away. The Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So friend, if you've never done that, please understand, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be forever secure in his hands. And you will never perish. Would you pray with me? If you've never made that decision, please know that if you'd like to talk more about it, you're welcome to come and find me during our final song. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. But maybe you're not here on campus, or maybe you're here and you want to make that decision right now. You don't want to wait any longer. You're ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Please know you can do that wherever you are. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So friend, if that's you, go to the Lord right now and ask Him for for the forgiveness of your sins. Put your faith in Him, His death on the cross, His resurrection, and give your life to Him. He'll hear you and He'll save you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who has never made that decision, that today would be the day they receive eternal life that this would be the day where they are saved, where they put their faith in Jesus. But Father, for those of us who have done that, help us to be encouraged that you will never lose us. You will never let go of us. Father, maybe some of us have wandered from you. We've been longing for your voice. Help us to run back to your feet. Forgive us for those times where we do wander. I pray that you would help us as the sheep of your flock to get down to your kingdom work, to share the gospel, to tell others this great news that you are just waiting to forgive them. If only they would come to you in faith. Help us to be faithful to share that, Father. We pray that in all these things you'd be glorified because that's what we're chasing after, not our glory, but yours. Father, we love you. But you proved long ago when you sent Jesus Christ this earth to die for us that you love us more. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.